Welcome to our DSM Hollywood podcast series. The following is an excerpt from Dr. Daniel Sherstad's weekly online Bible study for those in the entertainment industry, along with those who have a passion to see the kingdom of God revealed in Hollywood. For more information about DSM Hollywood, including upcoming events and how to join in on our Bible studies, please visit www.dsmhollywood.com. We're so glad you have tuned in, and we're grateful for the privilege to help you grow in your holy calling in Christ Jesus. Before you listen, I encourage you to grab your Bible and set your heart in expectancy to receive from the Lord, knowing that His heart is for you to grow in knowing Him and to grow in walking with Him. 1 Kings chapter 17. Three weeks ago, I started this series of messages, which I'm entitling just the... uh, the making of a prophetic generation. And um, let me just take a few minutes and, and just review since I see we had a, a number of people that weren't here three weeks ago. Uh, then the next week I was traveling. Then last week we had a special guest speaker, so we're going to pick this up. So this is going to be part two here. But when I said uh, three weeks ago that when we're living in an evil day, this is the way God responds. Whenever there's an evil day, how many believe we're living in an evil day? And, and uh, God responds to it by raising up a generation of men and women, women that have the prophetic voice of God on the inside of them and are not afraid to stand up and decree and declare that which God wants them to say. That's, that's the way God has always done it throughout history. That is his answer to the evil day. And so if we don't answer the call, right, many are called, but few are chosen. The chosen ones are the ones who actually pick up the phone and answer the call in obedience to that which God has spoken over their life. And so it's so important that we do that. So that's God's, so he likes to do that. But men of God, women of God are not born, I said. God makes them. And so that's why Ezekiel says that God went about looking for a man, looking for a woman. He's looking for somebody who will yield to his voice, yield to his word kind of thing. And so uh, because then he takes us, and here's the process, he takes us, and uh, he many times will allow that which is upon us, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the call of God, to be demonstrated. We read in, in uh, the first few verses of chapter 17 where Elijah shows up on the scene and King Ahab was the most wicked king. His wife Jezebel was the most wicked queen up to in history up to that point. And God causes this prophet of God to show up on the scene by the name of Elijah. And he begins to confront the evilness of what's happening right there. And so he does it. He literally prophesies to King Ahab and to Queen Jezebel that um, it's not going to rain. And it's going to stop raining and it's not going to start to rain until I say it's going to rain. Because the reality is, my God's in charge. I'm a, you might think you're in charge, but you're really not in charge. And so once he does that, he takes him to a place called Cherith. He says, I want you to go to this place called Cherith, this brook here, and I want you to stay there until I tell you to leave. And it says that as he went there, it says that God caused a raven to feed him. He drank water from the brook, 
And I said that prophetically, the word chair literally means the cutting place. And so prophetically, it's a beautiful prophetic picture where the first place, because God takes someone who wants to yield to him, and he begins the process of making them, and then once he makes them, he breathes into them a message, and then he imparts a ministry. Let me say it again. Once we're willing to yield to the voice of God, he makes a man of God, he makes a woman of God, and then he breathes into them a message, and then he imparts a ministry. So Elijah comes on the scene, and then immediately God takes him off the scene, takes him to this backside of a desert kind of thing, and begins to cut the word Cherith. Again, he begins to cut some things into his life. There are things in our lives that need to be cut in, and then there are things that need to be cut out of our life. And that's the process. And so there will be times in our lives where God will take us to Cherith, and we need to be able to yield to the process so that God's will, God's character can be cut into us by the Word of God, by the presence of God, and by mm, that which He desires to use as His instrument in our lives. And so this is the process. Uh, that God used. When God chose somebody to deliver a nation, I said God raised up a man by the name of Moses. He comes on the scene. He feels the call, the gifting of God on him, and then he takes him to the backside of a desert for 40 years and cuts something into him. When God raised up David, David came on the scene with this powerful anointing. He takes down the bear, the lion, the giant, and then he sends him on the run for 14 years, literally 16 assassination attempts on his life in 14 years, and running from an insane king by the name of Saul, and God cut some character into David. When God raised up uh, someone by the name of Paul, literally his first name, he was Saul, then he raises him up, he begins to preach, and then he takes him to the backside of a desert for literally 13 years, the Bible talks about, where literally he he encounters Jesus Christ himself, and literally the character of God is cut into Paul. Uh, God takes a man by the name of John, we, we call the apostle of love, uh, but he was not always that way. He was known as the apostle of vengeance. He, he, he wanted to call fire down and kill everybody in two cities because he got offended by them. Come on now. And so Jesus looked into his face and says, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're I didn't come to kill people. I came to save people. By the time God was done cutting something into John, he was the one who was known as the apostle of love. Peter, this self-reliant, self-confident, bold man thought he could do everything. He says, all of these guys are going to turn their back on you, but me, I will never turn my back on you. And Jesus said, no, you're going to turn your back on me, and you're going to do it worse than the rest of them kind of thing. And so by the time God got done with Peter, God had cut out Come on, his, his, his selfish self-confidence and cut into him, come on, a strength that he depended upon. And the, first, the, the epistle of 1 Peter is all about bringing strength. And I said this to you three weeks ago. The richest ministry that you will ever be able to give out to anybody will always come from the deepest cut in your soul. Let me say that again. So uh, the richest ministry that you will ever experience in your life will come from the deepest cut 
when you allow God to take you to the place called Cherith and he cuts into you the character of God. So now, I want to pick up our reading here in, 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 in uh, chapter 17. It says that after a certain amount of time, after the brook dried up, it says that um, God comes to Elijah, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he says here in verse 9, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Dwell there, live there. I've commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, there was a widow that was gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, please bring me a little bit of water in a cup that I might drink. And as you go, please get me something to eat always, also. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have any bread. I only have this handful of flour in a bin, a little bit of oil. And I'm gathering some sticks. I'm going to make a fire. We're going to make a meal and we're going to die. Man, she didn't have no, um, no, no promise for any future whatsoever. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Go and do as I have commanded you as, according to the word of the Lord. Make me a small cake first and bring it to me. And after that, make something for yourself and your son. For thus saith the Lord your God, the bin of flour shall never be used up. The jar of oil will never run dry until the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So he went and she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah. And she did that and her whole household lived for many days. The bin of flour never was used up. And the jar of oil never ran dry. And it was according to the word of Elijah that he spoke. It lasted for three years. Now it happened after these things that the son of the women who owned the house became sick. And this sickness was so serious that the, the young man died. And so she said to Elijah, what have you to do with me, O man of God? Have you come to bring this sin of remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. And she took him up to the upper, uh, out of her arms and carried him to the upper room. And there he cried out to the Lord. And he, he prayed for me, stretched himself over. And the life of God came and resurrected this dead young man. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And Elijah took the child and brought him back down to the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, look, your son does live. Then the woman said to Elisha, Elijah, excuse me, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is truly in your mouth. Come on now, somebody say amen. So here... <clears throat> Always wait here. So somebody's coming in here, right there. Uh, so here, God, after He's done with um, Elijah there at Cherith, He sends him to a place called Zarephath. <clears throat> this would be probably the last place that uh, Elijah would want to go. This would be the last place that I would send Elijah. Last place that that uh, you would probably send Elijah because Zarephath was the hometown of Jezebel. Zarephath was the place where all of Jezebel's relatives lived. Uh, Zarephath was the capital city of Baal worship. And so it was the most evil city. Come on now. Are you following me? It was the most evil city in the nation at that time. Does it sound kind of familiar? 
Come on now. How many ever been to Hollywood? Come on now. Come on. We've been called to Hollywood. You've been called to Hollywood, to the industry. How does God answer the evil day and an evil city? Come on now. He sends a prophetic person who yields to the workings of God in their life into that place to live. We don't run from the light. We run, come on, we don't run from the darkness. We run to the darkness with the light because the light always overcomes. Now, the word Zarephath, now watch this, comes from a Hebrew word Zoroth, okay? And in that time, they would, um, they would, they would not just slap a name on the place uh, immediately. They would just come, they would observe, they would look around, they would see what was going on, what was there, and then they would name the city. Well, in Zarephath, historically, it is known to have all kinds of large brick ovens that were used for refining precious metals. That's what Zarephath was all about. So the word Zoroth, where Zarephath comes from, literally means this, a place, a smeltering, fiery furnace for the purpose of refining. Come on now, are you listening now? A fiery, a smeltering, fiery furnace for the purpose of refining. Seraphath is a prophetic picture to us here today of a place of refinement in our life. <clears throat> God takes us to a place. He begins to, called Cherith, he begins to cut some things into our character. But whatever God cuts into us, he must have the ability and the time to refine it in our lives. And so uh, he does that. Psalm 17, 3 says, you have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have turned, you have tried me or refined me. There, there is the word Zoroth, tried me, tested me. <clears throat> in Isaiah uh, chapter 48, let me just, I'm going to re read that right here to you. Isaiah 48, it says, verse 10, behold, I refined you. There's that word Zoroth. Mm, and uh, I have tried you. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction for my sake. <clears throat> Uh, for my own sake, I do it. And he says, and for why should I permit my name to be polluted and profound, profane, which it would be if the Lord completely destroyed his chosen people. And I will not give my glory to another by permitting my worshipers of, by permitting the worshipers of idols to triumph over my people. Uh, so he says here in this scripture here that uh, I'm going to Zoroth you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to try you. And the purpose, the reason I'm doing it is I'm doing it for my name's sake. I'm doing it here for my, the sake of my glory here. And I'm doing it here uh, for, uh, of course, for your sake right there. So he comes for God's sake, his name's sake, for the sake of his glory and it says that God will cut, and then he'll refine us in that. Now, the refining process is so incredibly important. Why? Because something, to the degree that it's refined, will determine its value. Let me, take, let me illustrate for you tonight. If we took one bar of silver, and we refined it into and turned it into some horseshoes, it would be worth about $10. If we took the same bar of silver and we turned it into sewing needles, it would be worth 
about $350. But if we took the same bar of silver and it was put into the hands of a skillful silversmith and he was allowed to take it and turn it into little springs that are used in high-end expensive watches. Now, that same bar of silver is worth $250,000. A quarter of a million dollars. But the difference is the refinement. Ah, come on now, are you listening to me? Are you following what I'm saying here? So we have to make a decision. Are we going to allow the Lord to bring us to Zarephath and, and allow the, the master craftsman to, to literally, mm, literally make us into what he wants to do? Because he, he, we have to allow him to do that in our lives. And that will determine how much value mm, we will have. Now, you know, I don't know, maybe you've heard this before, but uh, when you, after you die, your human body is worth about $7.93. Come on now, don't mean that. It may vary a little bit by, if you're a little bit bigger than somebody else, that might go up a little bit. So by, by mere sheer volume, my body is worth more than most of you in this room, okay? And, uh, but $7 on an average, 93 cents, that's how much your body is actually worth. But now if there's life that's breathing in that body, well, now that value goes way up now. Uh, there's really no end to how much a person will pay or an insurance company will pay to cause a heart transplant in that living, breathing body. So now that body is a lot more value because there's life in it, okay? So we need to ask ourselves, how much are we really worth to God? How much are we really worth to the world? And there's a great difference um, because, um, uh, and so our worth because mm, the Apostle Paul talks about being made into vessels that bring glory and honor to God. And he talks about different levels of different vessels and different, they all get into heaven, but they're made out of different substances and they bring certain levels of glory to God because they have, not because God loves them anymore, because God loves us all exactly the same, but it, it's all determined by the, our willingness to allow the master craftsman to literally create in and uh, take that which he has cut into us and literally refine it on the inside of us. So, are you going to be a horseshoe person? Come on now. Are you going to be a needle person or are you going to be a springs person? And that is not determined by God, that's determined by you. Now, there's another Hebrew word that I want to mention here. It's translated to be tried, to be proved also. It is the Hebrew word bashan. And it means, now listen very well, it means to put something to the test for the purpose of exposing the qualities of it. Let me read that again. The Hebrew word bashan, to test, to try, means to take something and put it to the test for the purpose of exposing the qualities in it. Psalm 66 says, for you go God, have tested us or bashaned us you have refined us as silver is refined. You, okay, so you have put us, the psalmist is saying, Lord, you have put us in a circumstance and in a situation where the essential qualities that are in us will begin to emerge. 
there's, there, there's a twofold to this process. Number one, he wants to expose what's in our hearts so that we can really know what's going on in our hearts. Number two, he wants to purge those qualities. And so uh, God uses this word. This is fascinating. Listen very carefully. This is going to be just absolutely, mm, I think, enlightening to you. But God uses this word, Bashan, in the Hebrew as it relates to test and try. He uses it about himself in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, when he's talking about bringing the tithe and the offerings into the house of God. Are you following me? He said, if you don't do that, you're a thief. You're a robber, he says. And then he says, he goes on, he goes on to say, go ahead and try me. Bashan me. There's the Hebrew word right there. In this and see if I will not do it. Every time you tithe, you literally cause a manifestation. Watch, watch now. Pay attention now. Every time you tithe, you literally cause a manifestation of the essential qualities of God, come on now, to be secured into your life on, for your benefit. Let me say that again. So God is saying there are some essential, absolute qualities that are on the inside of me. And he said, if you want those essential qualities that are in me to arise and come out of me and manifest in your life for your behalf, you're going to have to push on me. That means you're going to have to bring the tithe into the storehouse. Mm. If you don't, you don't get to see what's in me. Where is that? That's the goodness of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. All of that is tithe. And, and don't even try to come up and try to tell me, well, oh, tithing's an Old Testament, it's under the law. No, no, no. Tithing was instituted by God himself hundreds of years before Moses was even born, before the Levitical law, before the, Mo the law of Moses, before the Ten Commandments, before there was anything like that. There was a law set into the kingdom of God called the tithing. And God says, go ahead and bashan me. Go ahead and see if you can get the essential qualities that are in me to come out and manifest on your behalf. It only happens when you tithe. If you don't do that, it doesn't happen for you. Go ahead and trust me. Try it. First Peter says that the trying of our faith is more precious than gold. The most valuable thing that's in your life, he says, is going to be tested and it's going to be tried. James chapter 1 says the trying of your faith is this refining process. Here's the principle. Let me say it again. Whatever God cuts into a man at Cherith, he refines at Zarephath. Let me say it again. Whatever God cuts into a man at Cherith, he literally refines at Zarephath. Refining always follows the cutting process right there. So character must always be tested by the flame of God's fire. Listen, we can, you and me, we can say that we believe in forgiveness, but we really don't know if you believe in forgiveness until somebody sins against you. Ah, come on now. Until you're offended and so somebody wounds. We don't really know. You can say it all you want. Come on now. You can say that you trust in the Lord. Uh, but we don't really know if you really trust in the Lord until the circumstances in your life don't make any sense. Come on now. Oh, you can say that you have faith in God. Uh, but we don't really know, come on now, that if you have faith in God or not until you're in a situation where it looks totally impossible and from a natural standpoint, there's no hope. 
uh, then we know because we'll watch how you respond to these situations. And so we have, we know, come on now, we, 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 you can say that you love people, but we don't really know if you love people until you've been rejected by people. Come on now. It's in the fire that you find out what you really is going on inside your heart. It's in the fire that we find out what's really going on. When Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, when it says that when, when Jesus was being baptized, his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he is literally ekbalo. The Greek word is ekbaloed into the desert. The word ekbalo means to cast out. It's the same word for casting out demons. The Holy Spirit took Jesus and literally threw him. Ek means to throw. Balo is the word we get ball. It means to throw like a, a throw a ball violently. And so Jesus was taken by the Holy Spirit and literally thrown and cast into the wilderness to be that which was cut into Jesus by the word of his Father was now being refined in the backside of a desert. Even Jesus went through this process I'm talking about right here kind of thing. <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah. <clears throat> unfortunately, you know what I see going on as a whole in the body of Christ today? That uh, everybody wants the anointing. Everybody wants the miracles. Everybody wants the supernatural. And you should have it. Come on now. Mm. But we need to be more concerned about the character of Jesus Christ being cut and refined into our personality than we are about all of this. It isn't one or the other, but unfortunately, especially as it relates to the camp that we come from, it's all about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of Jesus. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the life of Jesus. It isn't one or the other. It's both. And we're called to live the life and display the ministry. Uh, <clears throat> it really is no big deal for God to impart an anointing. He can do that in a moment. No big deal for him to do that. But to impart or to infuse the character of Jesus into you, uh, it's going to take a lifetime. It's going to take us, come on now, uh, showing up in Zarephath and not resisting that. So what did God refine in Elijah's life that was cut, to hit, cut into him at Zarephath? And there was three things I mentioned. I want to uh, mention them here tonight again and to talk about the refining process. Number one and number two was God cut into Elijah humility. Number two, he cut into Elijah uh, dependency. Humility and dependency right there. Come on now. It was very humbling. Come on now. For Elijah to stay in that isolated place right there by this brook and to be fed by some unclean, come on now, unco come on now, unkosher bird. A black raven is the most filthiest bird on the planet right there. And God, he had to submit himself to the humility. Where do you think those ravens got that food? Uh-huh. Uh, well, I'm just going to ask the question because some people kind of think that ravens were kind of cruising through the McDonald's drive-thru. Come on now. 
picking up a number one extra value meal with a Big Mac, a large fry, come on, and a Coke Zero. Come on now, right now. I'm just trying to add a little extra value to this message here tonight. That was for my, my sister Jen back there, extra value. You get it? Come on now, extra value meal. Okay, so you'll get some of you'll get it tomorrow, right? So it's one thing to be humble before God. It's another thing to be humbled before man. Let me say that again. It's another thing. Elijah was humbled before God in Cherith. Now he's going to be humbled before man in Zarephath where God is going. He's going to have to be dependent upon a starving widow. Everyone was watching. Everyone could see that. And so it's so important. God will cut this. I remember years ago that uh, when God started doing this in my life kind of thing, I remember somebody came up to me and and said, uh, Pastor Dan, I want to I I give you this money. I want to sow this money into your life. And I, I was refusing to take it. And, th- and, and this person said to me, he said, Pastor Dan, you know, you know what your problem is? I said, yeah, I'm not quite sure, but uh, I got a funny feeling you're about to tell me. <laughs> you know what your problem is? You don't know how to give. And I was like, well, I don't know how to give. I'm pretty sure it's the one, you're the one that's trying to give here, not me. Come on now. And he said, no, no, no. Maybe you haven't read, uh, there's a man by the name of Jesus the Christ in the Bible who said, freely you have received, then go freely give. So if you don't know how to receive, you can't be a real giver. Because humility comes first before you're able to be used in that kind of way. And then he said, on top of that, you know what? You're a thief. I'm like, oh, my God, man, this is not a good day for me. Come on now. Now, now, not only am I not a giver. Come on now. I'm already a pastor. Come on. I'm already pastored for 10 years. No, actually 15 years. I've already pastored for 10, 15 years when this happened. This guy comes up and, man, not only are you not a giver, you're a thief on top of that. And I was like, what the heck is going on here, right? And he says, that, that's right. He said, because, and I said, well, how is that possible? And he said, because. By you not receiving that which I want to bless you with, you have literally positioned yourself to rob me of a blessing in my life. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Well, after I heard that, I repented really quick. Come on now. I'm saying, oh, my God, I am a thief. Come on now. Uh, And I am not a giver. I said, I repent in the name of Jesus right now. I will take all of your money. Uh, Yeah, I'll take all of it right now. I receive it all. And if they, in fact, I I am so repentant that I will receive all of your money in every bank account you got. Come on now. That's That's how repentant I am. The Lord is working mightily in my heart right now. Woo. Come on now, because God will humble you before him, and then he'll humble you before other people and cause a dependency. Do you know that for the last 15 years, we've never received a salary? 15 years going straight now. Never received one salary, one paycheck from any church that we pastored, any place that we, uh, not one uh, as far as, as, as a weekly salary kind of thing. But for 15 years, even after coming out of here, Four and a half years out here in California. Come on now. Well, you almost got to be like a millionaire just to live here. Come on now. And uh, you've been here, and God has literally supernaturally caused 
blessing and favor. We haven't lacked a thing in four and a half years. We haven't lacked a thing in 15 years because we learned to stay at the place called Zareth and allow God to cut into us and then refine into us humility and a whole other level of dependency upon God right there to the point where I remember that uh, one time I was in a service, it was a Sunday night service, and I heard the Lord say, he said, I want you to give all of the money that's in your bank account to in the offering for that guest speaker. And I was like, all the money? I was like, man, I was like, first I thought that was the devil right there. Come on now. I rebuke you, Satan, right there, all the money? And then uh, I was like, no, no, no. He said, give all of the money. I said, Lord, no, you don't understand that uh, this was in a time in our life where we did not have, we, had, we didn't have very much money. We don't have a lot of money right now, but this was a time in our life where we had less money than what we got right now. And, uh, and, and yet God says, I want you to give all of the money that you have in your bank account in the offering. And I said, Lord, if, you, if I do that, you know we're not going to have any money to live on for the rest of And, uh, and the girls were young kind of thing. And, uh, and, they, and, uh, and the Lord said, no, I want you to give all. So I did. I wrote out a check for every cent that we had in every bank account, and I gave it all in the offering. So by the time we were walking to the door, we were 100% broke. Come on now. <laughs> Come on in the natural realm. But here's what happened. As I was almost out the threshold of the door, a man came up behind me and grabbed me by the shoulder and turned me around, and he said, Pastor Dan, he said, um, he said, right, uh, he said, right between uh, when the offering was over and before the man of God got up to preach, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me to give this to you. And he handed me four $100 bills right there. After I wrote the check, put it in the offering, God gave us enough money to live on for that week. Total dependency upon God being humbled before the Lord. I mean, I, we, it just happened again just recently in the same way where uh, just about a couple of weeks ago, and we tithe from our ministry. We tithe and we give, and we tithe and give offerings from the ministry. We tithe and offering and give offerings from our own personal life kind of thing, kind of continually and constantly do that kind of thing. But about a couple of weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me and began to talk to me about giving money out of 10 days, he, there were seven days out of those 10 days, he was telling me to give money. Out of that, in that 10 days, uh, almost just about a little over a week kind of thing, I gave 10 times as much as we normally do as it relates to tithing and offering. 10 times as much. And then, uh, since then, and just uh, not too long ago, somebody just came up, told, told a person that has no idea what, what was going on kind of thing. A person that I would never even think to do that just walked up and just handed us a check for $100 and then handed us uh, five $100 bills. Just like that. That's just, that just happened just about 24 hours ago. I'm telling you, I'm just sharing these things from my own life experience. When you learn to allow God to cut humility and dependency, and then refine it in the fire. God will never, ever let you down. And he cuts that deep into our lives. And so it's so important that we do that. 
And so uh, the third thing that God cut into Cherith, I mean, excuse me, into Elijah at Cherith, and then refined it was this thing called obedience. Come on now. Humility, dependency, and obedience right there. <clears throat> he stayed there. <coughs> excuse me. He stayed there at Zarephath, the place of refinement. God says, I want you to go there, and I want you to dwell there. And I want you to stay there out of obedience to me. Come on now. Jezebel's hometown, the capital city of Baal worship, living with a, come on, a starving widow at the time. Don't make no sense. <clears throat> but he went there, and he stayed until God told him it was time to leave. Some of us are good at obeying God at first. We'll go to the place that he tells us to go and we'll stay a while. But can we stay month after month? Come on now. Week after week, month after month, year after year without seeing any fruitful results whatsoever. Elijah didn't see any fruitful results. He stayed there. He didn't do any ministry. He stayed in that lady's house. Come on now, for the next three years, out of raw obedience to God, God said, go to that city, the most evil city on the planet, and he says, I want you to stay there and don't leave. I don't care what happens or doesn't happen, you don't leave. Until I tell you to leave. Uh, we need to have that kind of obedience that's cut into us and then refined. Let me read you something that A.W. Tozer, wonderful man of God, wrote. Watch this. Praise God for the furnace. Praise God for the hammer and the file also. If the nail has, had an ability to communicate, he would tell the other side of the story. The nail only knows the hammer as the opponent. The hammer only lives for one reason, and that is to pound the nail into submission. Mm. That is the nail's view of the hammer, and it is, uh, it, is, it is correct except for one thing, and that is this, that the nail and the hammer are servants of the same workman. If the nail could remember that the hammer is hailed by the workman, all resentment by the nail towards the hammer would be gone. It's the workman, not the hammer, that decides whose head is going to be beaten in. Mm, come on now. But when the nail begins to yield to the plan of the workman, it will be able to submit to the hammer without whining or complaining. The file is more painful still. For the file, <clears throat> its business is to bite into the soft metal and eat away at the edges until it's shaped the metal. And the file does not have any real will in the matter. <clears throat> it is the matter, it is, excuse me, it is the master who decides how much of the metal will be eaten away by the file. As the furnace, it's the worst of all. It is savage. It leaps at every piece of the metal that enters into it and never relents until the, its fury has re reduced everything, come on down, to, to literally shapeless ashes. And, and what refuses to burn is reduced to a worthless piece of matter. 
Everything that can be melted is melted. Everything that can be burned is burned. And only then does the, the fiery furnace calm down and it begins to rest from its destructive fury. If we want to become a true person of God, a man of God, a woman of God, a prophetic generation of people of God, we must learn to submit to the hammer, to the fire file and the fiery furnace. So let, let, let's, let's answer this question here tonight. How does God really refine us? How does, how does the process really work? Write these things down so that when they're happening in your life, you can recognize them. <clears throat> we sub, we've got to submit to Sarah, but it's the place of refinement. But how does that really work out practically in our life? Number one, he uses contradicting circumstances. Let me just say this. Listen, the enemy of our soul... He loves to come into our life. I do a whole series on tests and trials. The enemy comes into our life for the purpose of destroying us and brings trials into our lives. And his purpose is to destroy and to, to break everything and to, to make us to give up, back up, let up, and shut up. But God shows up. When the enemy shows up to do that, God will show up on the scene and he'll take that which the enemy means for destruction and he will use the same exact thing and turn it around and turn it into a test to graduate you to a whole other level of God's glory. But you got to respond correctly. The number one way that he uses is contradicting circumstances in your life. I'm going to provide for you, Elijah. But then he takes him to a starving widow. <clears throat> Joseph. You're going to be the leader of your brothers, Joseph, and then I'm going to make you the leader, come on now, of the whole world. And then what has happened to Joseph? He's literally thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, slandered as a rapist, come on now, forgotten in prison. Everything for the next 14 years, 15 years in Joseph's life, literally everything that happened contradicted the prophetic dream and word that was spoken over his life as it relates to that which he was called to do with his life. What was he doing? Whew. He was refining the character of Joseph. Hmm. There's going to be times when God, he'll cut things into us and then he'll begin to refine us through contradicting circumstances. Jesus, you're the son of God. But then he th throws them into the desert to be tempted by David. David, anointed to be king. You're a man after my own heart. Come on now, he's killed giants. He's killed bears. He killed Goliath. And then what does God do? He ends up spending, as I said earlier, 13 years, 16 assassination attempts for 13 years on the run. Come on now hiding out in caves, nothing but contradicting circumstances to that which the prophet Samuel said over David and what he was anointed to do. What was happening during that time? He was being refined in the furnace. This is the way God works throughout history. He's, he's done it with every great man of God, every great woman of God, and he will do the same thing with you and me. <clears throat> Number two, he will refine us through people hurting us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and say amen. Come on, somebody. Woo, come on. Next time somebody hurts you, I want you to think, I just arrived at Zarephath. Come on. 
Woo! Glory be to God forevermore. Come on now. That's what you got to do. You got to have that kind of attitude right there. Come on. <clears throat> because it's my master who has chosen to refine me at this time of my life. And so I can get bitter against the hammer, or I can get bitter at the person who has hurt me. Mm, come on, but that, the reality is God's showing up on the scene and using that person. Come on, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it to destroy me, but God showed up on the scene and took you, come on now, and used you as an instrument in his own hands to refine my life. Whew, come on now. Mm. So people... God uses people. People, they're going to hurt you. Some will do it out of on purpose. Some will do it out of ignorance. God does this. He loves to the Psalm 66, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12. It says that God was going to take us and he's going to refine us. He brought us through the fire. He brought us through the deep waters. And then it says in the last verse that when we came out on the other side, we ended up in an incredibly prosperous, wealthy, rich place because we yielded to the time, to the one, to the master's hand. So <clears throat> he's the one who chooses to do that in our lives. So people are going to hurt you. Come on, people are going to disappoint you. Uh, and so we got we to make a decision. Am I going to get better or am I going to allow it to make me better? <clears throat> As I said, Joseph said it, you meant it for evil. <clears throat> But God is in the furnace. He's in the furnace with you. You got to make that. Come on, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went willingly into the furnace. What did they come? They came in contact with the fourth man in the fire who had the image of Jesus Christ, the, the Son of Man, it says, right there. And when they came out of the fire, the only thing that was burned was everything that was keeping them in bondage. Come on now. There's a whole lot of baggage that we bring into the kingdom of God. There's all kinds of unfinished business we got going on. He said, it's the fiery furnace. And getting a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, come on, that will change you and literally burn all the, come on, everything that is not representing Jesus Christ out of your life. Number three, he will actually show up on the scene and use your failures and tragedies to refine you. Come on, this woman at Zarephath who was faithful to take care of the man of God every day, one day, come on now, her son gets sick. Her son ends up dying. She says, oh, man, God, you brought this back. And now the enemy, come on, is leveraging. The enemy loves to use the veiled voice of accusation. Come on, when tragedy, come on now, comes into our life, disappointments, and say, yeah, see, that's happening because, listen, because you're reaping what you have sown. Come on, there is a law of reaping and sowing in our lives kind of thing. But I want to just say this over us here tonight. The mercy of God, come on, the mercy of God comes into our lives to make sure we don't, come on now, get what we do deserve. And then the grace of God comes into our life on top of that to make sure that we do get what we don't deserve that's the blessing of God. So the mercy of God keeps us from the judgment of God. No, grace of God <clears throat> gets us into the blessing of God. You need both the mercy and the grace. Mercy always trumps 
justice. Come on now. Uh, always trumps. And so even when you've made bad decisions in your life, you need to throw yourself on the mercy of God, on the grace of God. Come on now. Repent really quickly and don't let the enemy use it as leverage to beat you down and to convince you that you deserve that which is happening in your life. And it's not going to turn around. It's not going to change in your life. That's what she thought. Oh my God. Oh, I, yeah, you, oh, so God showed you what I did in my past life. Okay, so now you're pay, it's repay time. Okay, you're going to kill my son, huh? And no, 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 no. God uses even this tragedy of premature death of her own son to literally refine this woman and to refine even, uh, even the, the man of God there. So important that we, we understand this is how God works in our life. Zechariah says, I'll take you through the fire. Jeremiah 9, 7 says, come on. He, he says, I will refine them and I will try them. God is the master at using all things, even our failures, even our tragedies. He will use it. He doesn't cause them. He's not the author of these things. But again, he shows up on the scene and takes what the enemy has literally orchestrated in your life and literally takes it and turns it around and uses it as a test to try so that he can promote you. Come on, he wants to promote you to the next grade. You can't get to the next grade without taking tests. No such thing. Come on now. There is no such thing as becoming, come on now, the man of God, the woman of God, unless you're willing to go through this. Number four, he used his word to try and to test them. Speaking of Joseph, Psalm 105 verse 19 says, he sent his word and tried or Zoroft Joseph. Jeremiah 5.14 says, My word is like a fire that consumes your flesh. Jeremiah 23.29 says, My word is like a hammer that breaks all the hard parts of your heart into pieces. This is not some little nice cute little novel right here. This is the word of the living God right here. He has breathed the very breath of God into it. And when the Holy Spirit, when you spend time in the word of God, the Holy Spirit breathes on it and it comes off the page and drops into your heart, brings blessing. Come on now, but it also is like a fire and a hammer and it creates, transforms you into the image of Jesus the Christ. He uses his word. His word is powerful. Number five, God will even use the devil himself. Come on now. <laughs> I love this. In Job, uh, in the book of Job, it says the devil came to attack Job, but God turned it around and refined Job through it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, you know, God, God did not cause him with Job. It said Job didn't know that they, there was a conversation going on between God and the devil. And, uh, and so it was Satan who showed up. Read the book of Job. Satan showed up and did this to Job. <clears throat> the devil wanted to destroy Job. That's what he said. He actually told that to God. God used it as an opportunity to refine Job. Job 23.10 says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested Zoroft me, there's that Hebrew word, I shall come forth as gold, he says. The trials of Job lasted eight months in his life. After he got done, come on now, he, went, he lived another, another 140 years, extremely wealthy, extremely prosperous. Come on now. The incredible blessing of God that rested in and through, come on now, and for Job was a direct 
a direct manifestation, come on now, of him allowing God to use a diabolical attack to refine him. Come on now. When Jesus was sent into the wilderness, attacked by the enemy, the devil himself. Folks, you don't need to be afraid of the devil. You do not need to be afraid of the devil. You don't need to be afraid of demons whatsoever. Come on now. Stop being afraid. You're wasting your spiritual energy. You're wasting your emotional energy. You're wasting your mental energy by being afraid of demons and devils. Come on now. You got more power of the, come on now, of God on the inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you now, oh my God, the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the, div the divine Godhead is literally one with your spirit on the inside of you. You got more power than even Satan before his fall when he was Lucifer. You got more power than when he had before he fell. That's how powerful you are on the inside if you just learn to tap into it. Come on now and understand who you are. Number six. God will use his own presence to refine you. Psalm 17, 3 says, you have tested my heart. You have visited me, David says. Your manifest tangible presence has come in the night seasons and you have tried me. You have, come on now, tested me and you have come and you have found nothing evil in me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 through 29 says that God's presence is a consuming fire. Jeremiah says, I will melt in his presence because it's a fiery presence. And did you know that there's a part of me that just absolutely loves the presence of God? But there's a part of me that absolutely hates the presence of God. You know what part of that is? That's my flesh. That's my carnality. Come on now. My flesh hates the presence of God. It can't stand the presence of God. Why? Because when his fiery presence comes, not only is it going to bless me, but it's going to burn me. Uh, my flesh is going to burn. Come on. Your flesh, it doesn't like to be burnt. Come on now. And uh, that the fire, it comes to burn. Come on now. That burning effect needs to take place in our lives. Malachi 3.3 says, He sits as a refiner of his people, and they shall minister unto him when it's all said and done. Isaiah 33.14 says, who can endure the testings and the tryings of God? And then in verse 15, he goes on to explain a man of great character. And then in, verse, uh, and then the, in the next verse, it talks about the blessing, and the absolute incredible blessing that shall come upon. So the question is, who can stand, who can endure mm, the, the, the refining fire? Those who have allowed God to cut and refine the character of Jesus. Those that will stand in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and only come out, come on now, not burnt, but come out greater than they went in. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and it shall go to the silversmith as a beautiful, precious piece of jewelry. It's saying whoever allows the refining process to take place in their life, they will be an absolute beautiful vessel of honor, worthy of the master's youth. Worthy, worthy of the master's use. Come on now. This is why very few people have character today. They refuse to respond correctly to the refining process in their lives. They run from the fiery furnace. Isaiah thirty-three seventeen says, your eyes shall see the king. Come on now, those who endure the burnings of God, those are the ones who keep their eyes 
on Jesus. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says in the first five chapters, he says, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. But then when he got to the sixth chapter, it says he saw the king. Oh, my God. He saw Jesus high and lifted up and sitting upon his throne, and the glory of his presence filled the temple. And when he saw the king, like he never saw the king, he wasn't saying, woe is you. Or what. He was saying, woe is me. Oh, my God. Change me in your presence. Oh, he said, take the fire from the altar. Come and purify my lips, purify my words, purify my thoughts, purify my actions. Then I will be able to properly say and respond to who shall we send? Send me, oh God, because now my character has been refined in a proper way where I am a beautiful, beautiful vessel worthy to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, come on now. Do you really want to be used by God? If you do, man, he's going to burn you. Come on now. You've got to be willing to let him burn you. There is no room in our life for bitterness. Come on now. When people hate you, when people hurt you, when circumstances turn against you, come on now. You need to thank the Lord for refining me. Job said in chapter 42, I went one direction and God wasn't there. I went another direction and God wasn't there. I can't find God anywhere. You know where he was? He was in the furnace. Come on now. God was in the furnace. And Job 42, 5 says, he said, there was a time when I could only hear you. But now that I've gone through the fiery furnace, I can see. Oh, my God. I can see you, not just hear you. I can see you like I've never seen before. That's why Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are those who have a heart that's been purified. Come on now. Refined and tested and tried in the fire. For they shall be able then to see God like they've never seen him before. You've got to have, your heart only gets pured by going through the fire right there. Job was thanking God for the refining furnace. Why? Because the result was he saw Jesus like he never saw Jesus before. Thanking him for the refining fire. Come on now. Can we say, bless me, hammer. I bless you, hammer. Oh, can you say, I bless you, file. Oh, can you say, I bless you, fire. I bless you in the name of the Lord. That can be the only testimony that comes from the mouth of one who desires to be like God. Come on now. And turned into his image. We want to be a man of God. We want to be a woman of God. We want to be a prophetic generation of people that have the voice of God and the word of God in our mouth that literally will change and shift. Come on now. A nation, come on, a city, a generation. We've got to be able to respond correctly to Zarephath. How do we do that? 1 Kings 17, 9. I mentioned it earlier. It says, I'm sending you there, and I want you to submit to it, and I want you to dwell there. Do not run away, Elijah. Oftentimes, we are seeking deliverance uh, when we should be seeking development yeah come on now oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. see uh, so in that time you see god he'll come and god will he'll speak his word over uh, you are my son i love you so much you're so valuable you're the apple of my eye kind of thing and then satan shows up really are you really his son come on because god satan he loves to take every exclamation point that God, you are my daughter, and turn it into a question mark. He does it every single time. Are you really a daughter of God? Are you really called to Hollywood? 
Are you really called to the entertainment industry? Come on, you know you are. You wouldn't be here if you didn't feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit to this place. Who comes to an evil city like this on their own free will? Come on now. Nobody, only people who are crazy come here. Come on and want to, you know, you, you, to endure what you got to endure to be here. You got to know that God has called you to this place. But God, the enemy will always come to get you to question that. So not only do we have to submit to development in our life, I want to encourage you with, as you're in that process, supernatural things will begin to take place. Supernatural provision will take place. Resurrection power will begin to manifest. Come on now. Uh, when her son died, I'm telling you right now, and I'm just I'm telling you right now, there are things that are um, that are being resurrected even now, even today. Come on, even now. As I was praying today, as I've been praying all week, man, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, speaking to me. He said, "Man, I am resurrecting things. I'm resurrecting dreams. I'm resurrecting visions. Come on, I'm resurrecting callings right there." But we got to have that heart that says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, "Search my heart, O God, and know it." Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in your ways forever and ever and ever. <sighs> see, it's at that, it's, it was in Zarephath, those huge ovens were there. But you couldn't just bring your precious metals there and then stick them into the oven. No, no, you, you had to allow the skilled silversmith to take that which belonged to you and stick it into the fiery furnace right there. And so what they do is they would slide it into the, into the furnace. Then every once in a while they would take it out of the furnace. And then he would take a long single blade razor. And as the silver was being liquefied, he would take all the impurities that had worked their way to the top. And with a skillful hand not to lose one single little piece of the silver he would scrape the dross off the top of the silver and then he would take it and stick it back into the fire and then he would pull it back out and then he would scrape the dross off now back in that day they didn't have technology computers, come on now, uh, all kinds of machines that they use today. They had to have an absolute keen eye, steady, skillful hand to be able to do this process with these precious metals right there. And the skillful hand and eye of the silversmith, the master craftsman, he knew that the process was done when he took the liquefied silver out and he would lift it and he could see his reflection in the silver and he said ah it's done it's pure there's no more dross this is the purpose of the refining fire this is the purpose for God bringing us to Zorah <clears throat> to Zarephath he wants to look at us and see his own reflection. Amen. Come on now. If he doesn't see himself, guess what? You're going back in. 
Come on now. And the longer you resist, the more times you got to go in. Come on now, because this is all about. I mean, you heard me say, man, I am so big into encouraging people with their dreams and visions and going after it with everything that you have. Come on now, but God is so much more interested in your character than the success of your business or the success of your ministry. That is the word of the Lord. That's right. And so we have got to be willing. If you think that you can get, because here's, next time we're together, next time I'm teaching, the next place that God takes Elijah is to a place called Mount Carmel. Carmel means the hill of fruitfulness, a season of abundant fruit and blessing comes to Elijah's life. But it isn't until he has submitted to the cutting place and to the refining place. And then it's off to the place of fruitfulness and blessing in your life. So that's what we're going to talk. We're out of time here tonight, but we'll talk about that next time. But we need to ask ourselves, do we really, really want to be a man of God, a woman of God? A prophetic generation that really reflects the heart of Jesus. Come on now. And again, it's a process. A lifelong process. Don't ever let the enemy condemn you. Don't ever let him put you down. He loves you. Come on now. As you heard me say, we are in the process of becoming who we already are in Christ. Uh, so if you can't see, that's why we got to go to the Word. So in the Word, you see who you already are in Christ. And if you stare into the mirror of God's Word long enough, you will not forget who you are when you walk away from the mirror. That's what James says. All of you are looking into the mirror of God's Word, but as you walk away, you forget who you really are. And you start acting and talking like you're somebody who you really aren't. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Mm -hmm. I just feel the other night in the prayer meeting, a very strong prophetic word came up out of my spirit. And I feel it coming up out of my spirit once again. And this is the word of the Lord. God says that there are all kinds of circumstances and situations that the enemy has orchestrated in your life to bring destruction. But I heard the Lord see very, say very clearly, and I saw it in an open vision the other night, where God says that these are curses that the, the, literally the voice of the enemy in hell itself has released over your life. But the word of the Lord would come to you tonight and say that that curse 
even though it's been sent to your life, it shall not find any place in your life whatsoever. It shall come. It may even hover over you, but it shall go back. I heard the Lord say, I am causing an absolute supernatural boomerang effect to take place in the hearts and the lives of my people. Get ready, people of God. That which there are a number of you, if not even all of you in this room here tonight that have been experiencing what I am talking about, right? here kind of thing and a number of you have responded correctly to the to the Zarephath in your life and I hear the Lord say that I am literally have I've already begun the process of turning this thing around and causing that which the enemy meant for destruction in your life I'm causing it to be boomeranged back on him come on now we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but the enemy does like to pull the strings of people and circumstances to try to get us to back up let up give up and shut up and to move off of that which God has decreed and declared is the will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God, the destiny of God, our life. But you hear the word of the Lord here tonight. God is saying that I'm about, I'm about, I am, I'm in the process of causing everything that the enemy has sent your way to boomerang back on him. Watch what I will do. Watch how I will do it, saith the Lord. I have started the process. Look for it. Watch for it and see that I will keep my word over your life. Every promise, every detail, every dream, every vision that I have birthed in your spiritual womb, in your heart, saith the Spirit of God, it is for such a time as this. And I will not allow, as long as you keep your heart right before me, I will not allow one word that I have spoken out of my mouth to return unto me void, it will produce. It will manifest supernatural stuff in your life for my glory and for the glory of my name. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We adore you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. We magnify and we exalt you tonight. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word tonight. You alone, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, it's powerful, it's life-changing. I thank you for the seed of your word that was sown into the hearts of every believer here tonight. I ask you now, Holy Spirit, sir, that you would just seal the seed of your spoken word over our hearts tonight. Every person that's watching on Facebook, whether it's tonight or next week, Lord God, every person that's listening to the podcast, whether it's tomorrow or the next week, Lord God, whatever the case may be, those that are on the call tonight, those in this room, Lord God, I ask, Holy Spirit, Lord God, help us, help us to respond correctly, Lord God, and to recognize the dealings of the Lord to recognize what you're doing in our life, that we don't run from it, Lord God, Father, but we allow it to do its perfect work in our life, that we might come out on the other side, Lord God, pure as gold, as pure as silver, Lord God, lacking nothing in our lives. That's what James said. He said the trying, the testing of your faith is for the purpose as you come out, you will lack nothing in your life. Nothing but blessings shall be flowing your way if you will allow the testings. Come on now, the trying, uh, the trials, not running from them, but embracing them and allowing the word 
of God to work powerfully in your lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, God is turning things around. Even, as, even after I spoke that word, I, I, I received three testimonies with right away of God doing and fulfilling that word concerning the boomerang. He's doing it right now. I'm telling you, God's turning things around. I prophesied to the church, this may seem goofy to you, but I prophesied to the church a couple of weeks ago, the, the morning of the Super Bowl, and I said, you watch. God is about to do something incredible in the state of California. Come on, you are here for such a time as this. Something is about to happen in the L.A., Los Angeles area. We're just about two or three blocks from the Azuzu Street um, outpouring at the beginning of the 19, 1900s here. Man, God has always throughout history birthed absolutely earth-shaking revivals that started in the city of Los Angeles. And God's about to do it again. Come on now. He's about to do it again. And I promise that there would be something that would take place uh, in the Super Bowl that to allow us to, to understand that, and it did. It happened towards the very end when it looked like everything was shut down and the Rams were not going to win the game, and then all of a sudden, boom, in the last couple of minutes, God did something to fulfill his prophetic word as a sign and a wonder to confirm, come on now, to his children that you're in the right place at the right time and that he's going to turn everything around Come on now, in the state of California, in Southern California. And I'm telling you right now, last Sunday, last Sunday, last Sunday, it was last, it started on Saturday night. I don't know, just, just in, recent, in recent times, God has begun to do, speak to me like this kind of thing. But I'm telling you, Saturday, Saturday, I was driving back with my wife from the, uh, the store, grocery store, I think it was, towards our house. And it looked like, I, have never, I had not noticed this in years gone by, but it looked like, I don't think it was, and it may have not have been, but it looked like to me, from my perspective, that the, 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 the blimp that was sent to the NASCAR race there, come on now, in, in, in Upland, right? Is it Upland? Not Upland. Uh, Montana, Fontana. And uh, uh, it was uh, it, the, the blimp that was sent there the day before the race was resting right over our house. Come on now. And it said, Goodyear. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I heard the Lord. He said, son, I've sent that blimp to your house, he said. And I've not, I told you that 2022 would be a good year for you. Come on now. It's going to be a good year. Come on now. For Los Angeles, it's going to be a good year in your life. And then he spoke to me and he says, watch what I will do today in the NASCAR race. There shall be another sign for me. There will be a sign and a wonder to you. Come on now, confirming your word, what God is about to do in this region. And so I was out all day long, church, ministering kind of thing. We got home. And then I, later in the evening, I just turned on the news to see if anything Come on, because God spoke to me. God, I said, if there, anything significant, anything significant happened in that NASCAR race there. And as they, they just showed the last 60 seconds of the race on the news, and, they, and the announcers were really excited. And I was like, oh, my God, this must mean something's about to take place right here. Come on now. And they're racing around, and the guy that was in the front, he had, apparently he'd been in the front for a long time kind of thing. But then all of a sudden, at the last second, I don't know if he was in second or third place, he shot down below the, the 
the, the, the normal, right down, I don't know what they call that thing. Uh, it's kind of like the shoulder. It looked like the shoulder, right? He went down on the shoulder and he passed. He slingshot past the leader and came out in front and went across the finish line. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen somebody do that before. And then on top of it, when he got out of the car, the, everybody was so excited. Come to find out that the guy was a rookie. Oh, my God, a rookie. There was guys racing, racing in that race that have been racing NASCARs for 20 years, and they've never won a NASCAR race. Here, this guy just started racing NASCAR, and he wins, come on now, right away in the second race that he has ever, ever driven in. A rookie, and I heard the Lord say, get ready. Come on, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. The last shall be first. Go, come on now. Woo, and the first shall be last. I'm going to take those that think they have no experience, those that think that have, they have not had all that they need, all the wisdom and all the experience to come out on top. God says, I'm going to take those people. Those hearts are pure before me, and I'm going to cause a supernatural acceleration to take place in their life. A supernatural slingshot shall take place in their lives, and even though they may not be qualified as it relates to other people's opinion, I shall take them and shove them out in front of everybody and use them as a sign and a wonder for my glory and my honor. Somebody give God the glory and the honor in this place. Woo! 